So my uncle Tommy on my mother's side is quite a character. I could tell you story after story after story about him. But he always was a fighter. Even when he was elected to, uh, to city council, he, he would still fight as a... I guess, mature man. And uh, he would always instruct us, look, if you're going to have a fight with somebody, you've got to hit them in the nose right off the top before they know you're going to fight. He said, for example, we had somebody over our house. We thought that they stole my wife's uh, jewelry. So I went around to his house. I rang the bell. He opened the door. Bang. That's how you do it. So let me just hit you in the nose right off the top with a, a quote that's had me staggered all week. This is what it says. We will have it for you here. Nothing is so incongruous. It doesn't fit. It doesn't match. It doesn't work. It does, it's, it's the wrong thing. Nothing is so incongruous in a Christian character and foreign to his character than what? Than? As to seek ease and rest and be engrossed with the present life. Oh. I read that and I thought, man, I spend a whole lot of my time desiring ease and rest and getting engrossed in this present life, whether it's uh, the good things that I'm pursuing or how worked up and upset I get about political situations or whatever the case may be. And this, this passage, it, honestly, it just kind of plagued and haunted me all week long because I thought to myself, I mean, I realize that this is not the inspired word of God. It's by John Chrysostom, who is in what is now Istanbul, about 400 or whatever, Greek preacher, all these kind of things. So it's not, you know, divinely inspired. But this whole idea of, of is nothing is so incongruous, it doesn't fit, it doesn't work, it doesn't match up, it's the wrong color, it clashes, however you want to say it, uh, and is foreign to who we're supposed to be as Christians as to seek ease and rest and be engrossed in this present life. Oh, man. I came across that quote in Moses' comment on, on this passage that we're looking at today, in particular to verse 29, which we'll get to. It's really a great summation of this passage. Carl Barth says about the passage that we're going to study today, it's like, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's done this whole thing which we saw in the last couple of weeks about how, hey, it's going to be okay, live or die, we're going to be okay, God's in control, all of those kind of things. And he said, and Carl Barth said, and now all of a sudden, it's like Paul does a bit of a finger wag as in, hey, 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 hang on though, just a minute though, don't, don't rest up too easy because there's a danger of us falling off the log of the kingdom of God, either by just sort of, you know, forgetting how difficult it is and just sort of being sucked into the things of the world or by falling off the other side of the log and becoming terrified because life is sometimes difficult as a Christian. It kind of sums up what this passage that we're going to look at today is all about. And it's an important passage. When we read it here, you'll see it's going to begin with, uh, with these little words, you know, whatever, whatever happens. That, that's such a, a kind of a, such a weak translation. Really, the, the word that's used there means, listen, one thing is important. Or here's the most important thing. Or as we're going through this journey, and what I want you to remember throughout the rest of this letter to the Philippians, the thing that I want you to remember, what drives heart into your heart, what you've got to get in this whole thing, is simply this. We are to live as citizens of heaven. We're to live as citizens of heaven. So you can see how it's incongruous for us to worry about the things that we get caught up into. He says, look, Paul says, listen, one thing, when you walk out of here, when you're done reading this letter, when you're going to work tomorrow morning, when you're seeing your neighbors, remember this, 
you are called to live as a citizen of heaven. Number one thing. Okay, so let's read what the Apostle Paul has to say. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 27. Whatever happens, or listen, one thing, one most important thing. One thing counts. The thing that counts is that you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whenever I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith and the gospel. Without being frightened in any way, by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you, been given to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and I'm here I am in jail, and I've been in prison, and filled by all those different things. And now here, that I still have. This word for citizenship is, 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 uh, is buried in the translation that says, worthy of a life calling. It's citizenship is, is down in the center of that, of that word. There's a few things to, to understand here. What Paul's saying is that, listen, you've got a new home base. You're so proud in Philippi of being Roman citizens. Remember, we've done that whole thing in the introduction. It's such a big thing. It gives you such privilege and all these things. But what you need to understand is that as soon as you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, your citizenship changes. Your emphasis changes. Your belonging changes. You still exist, and I suppose you're still a citizen of Canada. But that's not the citizenship that really matters, because Canada's going to rise and fall and appear and disappear and all those things. But what's going to carry on forever and ever, and what really counts is that you are a citizen of heaven, and we're to live our life in a way that shows that we are citizens of heaven. So, a few things, four things I want to say, real quick, just about to set the parameters about what citizenship is here in Paul's mind when he writes this and what the readers would have understood. First of all, they would know that citizenship is both a privilege and a responsibility. It's a two sided coin, it's a privilege and it's also a responsibility. This is a command live your life in a way that smashes up to both the privileges, salvation and the Holy Spirit and fellowship and all those things, but also your responsibility and commitment. You see, they understood in the Greco-Roman world, they understood that the greatest place for you to achieve your absolute uh, greatest potential is in citizenship, is in community. They understood there was part of the whole thing, Roman culture, Greek culture, they, they got this sort of thing. But they also understood this, that the reason that you've lived to your greatest potential is not just for yourself, but for the state, for Rome, for Athens, for Jesus. They understood that that's the best place for it to happen, really the only place for it to happen. And the point is citizenship for the sake of others. Because you see, citizenship is communal, not individual. Communal, not individual. One of the greatest battles that we have to fight in our heart and in our society today is thinking that Christianity is an individual deal. It is not an individual deal. 
It has always been intended by God to be communal, to be in community, to be with other people, to be a family, to be a kingdom, to be citizens together. I can't stress this enough. They understood in that, in that day when they read that, when they say, oh, well, citizens of heaven, okay, we understand whether I'm Roman background or Jewish background, we understand that citizenship has everything to do with unity, harmony, and a common goal. Unity, harmony, and a common goal. And so when he writes, hey, listen, you're to live your lives in a way that's worthy of heaven, as a citizen of heaven. He's saying, listen, you need to live your life in unity, in, in harmony, which is kind of the emotional side of unity, right? In harmony, and with this common goal of advancing the cause of Christ and giving praise and glory to him. It is communal. The other thing about it is that citizenship in heaven is tenacious and not sporadic. It's tenacious and not sporadic. That's what Paul's saying when he's saying, listen, I, I want to know that whether I'm with you or I just hear about you, I want you to know that you're living as a citizen of heaven because I understand and you understand that sometimes it's hard and you need to keep going. You need to keep putting one foot in, stand in front of the other. You need to keep in harmony and unity and moving forward in this project of the kingdom together no matter what because sometimes it's difficult because there are going to be oppositions. So this living as a citizen together, it's not the pursuit of ease and rest and immersion in Canadian society. It's not that. So what is it then? How, how do we live out this citizenship? I think there's four ways in which he does this, okay? First one, he says you need to stand firm. Did you catch that? Stand firm in the unity of the Spirit. It's actually a, a military word. He uses a word from the army. It basically means stand firm as a soldier. Have unflinching courage in the face of the enemy. Live with this refusal to leave your post and to leave your comrades. That no matter how tough it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how upset with your comrade you are, you stand as a soldier and you refuse to leave because you're part of the unit. And we understand that it's a tough battle. And we know that there's an enemy coming. And sometimes we're kind of ticked off because the guy snores when we're trying to have to sleep in barracks, whatever the case may be. But it's this refusal to leave and instead to stand courageously in the face of the army. This is increasingly important in our day. Because we all know that we're spiritually and socially exhausted having come through what we've come through and it's, it's kind of in us and even though we, we just sort of you know, want to just forget that we had two years of misery but and get on with life, it, the reality is it was, we're still kind of coming out of that and not only that, but our Canadian society is moving further and further and further away from the biblical ideals that we hold to. And I, I told you a few weeks ago that, that now you know, 22% of Canadians say that, listen, this whole religion thing is a negative, is a bad thing in our society. 48% said, well, it's a toss-up. There's all kinds of good, I suppose, but there's a whole whack of bad in there as well. And so there's this, this divorce and this separation. And the, the times, it's going to be very difficult at times in your places of work, in your neighborhoods and those things. It just, it just is because there's going to be a clash, an increasing clash 
between what the Bible teaches, it seems to me, and what, and what society is going. Tom Wright, I like how he puts it this way in his, uh, in his commentary here. He says this, we mustn't be intimidated into retreating into a private ghetto where they ignore the rest of the world and nurture your own faith away from it. You saying, watch out. Because when it gets tough like that, it's so easy to just kind of leave our faith at the door and just sort of get into ourselves and we'll just kind of hang out together and we won't interface with society and we won't, we won't have dialogues about some of the things that they're wrestling with because we're kind of scared. It's just, it's just way easier to just kind of only hang out with Christians and then, and then you know, just let happen what, what happens. It's so tempting for me to do that because it's just so much nicer. It's just so much easier. But that's not standing firm as a soldier. The good news, of course, is that we're not to be left standing firm alone. We do it as a unit. And so this is this whole thing about either, either we're unified in our spirit or we have the unifying spirit. Stand firm in the spirit. There's a big debate. Big debate as to which, which it is. It could mean stand firm in a human spirit, as in, you know, like... Um, the spirit of a team. They've got a good spirit. The morale's good. It's kind of that idea. Or it could be, no, you stand, you're unified by the Holy Spirit of God. They really can't tell in the scholars. It seems like it's a bit of an, an even split, but I, I'm kind of persuaded by Gordon Fee, who, as you know, is one of my favorite theologians. He says, no, what this is talking about is, is that it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to stand firm when the going gets tough. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that courage. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that direction. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the wisdom to know how it is we're to proceed in the face of difficult and hard times. So here's the trick. This is so important for us. That will only be true for us if we take time to allow in a conscious way the Spirit to work in our lives. That will only be true as I do those spiritual disciplines which allow me to encounter the living God. That's where we have to stand firm against our schedules. And, and this is, I mean, we're in September. We know our schedules now are starting to get, starting to get crazy, starting to get filled up. And here's the secret. You will not stand firm if you do not allow yourself and force yourself and discipline yourself or equip yourself or whatever the right word for you is to take the time each day to encounter the living God by his Holy Spirit. Now, there's all kinds of ways in which people do that. You know, we've talked lots of times before about spiritual pathways. And, and God has created you, you know, with a certain personality, which everybody knows, you know, extrovert, introvert, whatever, things like that. But the, here's the thing. You've also got kind of a spiritual personality. And you know, if you think about it for a little while, that there, there are some ways, you know, there's all kinds of ways to access God, right? There's through prayer, there's through the word, there's through the fellowship, there's through nature, there's through music. And you know, you know, the easiest way for me to get a sense that God is present is X, right? For me, it's, you know, read the Bible, journal. That's, that's kind of my own personal side. I mean, I have the corporate worship, that's all. But for me, that's it. For other people, no, 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 it's not that. It's just music. Whatever that is, you need to grab a hold of that, that easy door. I mean, you've got to access God through all of these channels because that's how we grow in knowing who Christ is. But you know. You know whether it's through prayer, whether it's through the word, whether it's through having somebody, in, in, in a prayer partner or someone to talk with. Or you know what it is. Music, put on music. You need to make sure that every day, 
You force yourself, you discipline yourself because you've got to stand firm as a soldier on guard against your time and your heart and invite the Holy Spirit to do work in your life and heart that day. If we do not do that, we will not stand because we need to encounter the living God. Otherwise, we start to think that he's not there at all. And why would we bother standing firm? So there's this whole thing of standing firm in the unified Holy Spirit. Now, there's a bit of a danger that we could be thinking of ourselves as an individual, as a soldier, you know, standing on guard at night, and that's not a bad image. But Paul wants us to make sure he underscores again this idea that, no, 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 you're not alone in this. And so he gives this other image. He says, instead, what you need to do to be a person who's a citizen of heaven, you need to strive together. Strive together. This isn't a military phrase. It's an athletic phrase. This is the idea of working together as a team, you know. And so you might be an all-star on the team. You might be a bench warmer on the team. However it is you see yourself. But the truth is, it takes a whole team to win the game. And what he's saying is that, listen, you understand that, that, this, this, that you are striving together. And you need to play to win. It's this, this aggressive athleticism is this idea of this picture that he's got here. And when you go to play a sport, this is not just rec leave. This is like the Olympics. And you are going to go and you are going to win. You're going to play to win. You are going to engage that game. And you're going to leave everything on the field. That's what it is. You leave everything on the field, everything in the courtyard, on the course, everything on the ice rink, whatever your sport is. He's saying, listen, together, you get out there and you strive, you struggle, you fight, you put your heart in it together. And when you're done that fight at the end of the day with your brothers and sisters, you can lay down in bed and say, man, I am spiritually exhausted because I did everything to stand for Jesus in every circumstance that I found myself in together today and I know that I've got brothers and sisters who did exactly the same thing and I'm not alone in that and we celebrate our victories together and we mourn or sometimes our defeats together because we strive together and we play to win and we play together once again Eugene Peterson he does a great job, I think, of, of translating this passage. Look at how, what Eugene Peter says. He says it this way. This is a translation. It's a paraphrase. not really a translation. It's, in other words, it's, here's the idea of the passage. It's kind of what the, the message you want to read is. Stand united. This is this citizenship. Stand united. Singular in vision. Contending for people's trust in the message that they get to trust Jesus. The good news not flinching, this is the army, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what, you're up against, what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. A military picture, a sports picture, all of it to do with struggle. All of it to do with doing your best. All of it to do with living a life that's full of courage. All of it to do with understanding that there's an enemy who wants to take away from you all that God wants to give you. And sometimes he's subtle and sometimes he's like a spy and sometimes it's a frontal attack. And whatever the case may be, we stand together and fight that battle, play that game together to win. And with all this imagery... 
you know, the Philippians probably take that a bit more seriously than we do. Because I don't know very many people who have lost their life for the faith or even been in prison for their faith or whatever the case may be. But for, for these Philippians, as he said, listen, I, I, you saw how I'm suffering and now you're kind of starting to suffer there too. It was, it was very real for them. And so Paul's got to put in here this third way in which we live as the citizens of heaven. And that is, don't be afraid. Underlying this whole thing of being together and God being involved is, is don't be afraid. Don't be naive. Understand that there is actually opposition. There is. That's what verse 28 is all about. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved. And that's by God. Make no mistake, there always has been, there always will be an enemy who wants to destroy your life. And for us, that, that comes as a bit of a surprise. Because the truth is, for a couple of hundred years here, we've had it pretty easy. We lived this kind of pretty privileged lives. But Paul's clear that if we live our life really in the way that the gospel calls us to live it, where my pursuit is not ease and comfort and engrossing with the world, if I really live out my life in my neighborhood, in my family, in your workplace, in your school, if I really live like Jesus did, that raises opposition because that is just weird. It's just weird. And opposition can rise. And it's so easy for us to shrink back when we realize and begin to pay even just a little bit of the price. It's so easy to soft pedal the lordship of Christ. It's so easy not to speak up when they see something that isn't, that isn't right. It's just easy to just, ah, you know, I'll just let that slide. It's so easy to compromise in the face of an onslaught. Paul says, on behalf of the inspired spirit, no, no, you live fearless lives in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the fellowship of believers. And it will cost you. It will. And it, you know, I'm a, I'm a total hypocrite standing up here saying this because I'm a preacher and so 99.3% of my life is spent with you Christians. And unless I preach for an hour, I get it pretty easy. Then you'll know, go to an hour and... They get rough, you know. I, I know. It's easy for me to stand up and say this stuff. Because I'm not on the front line. With the expectations and the, the methods and the conversations and, and all those things that you folks are living with. I, I understand that. So does God. But a statement to us is to, yeah, there's going to be opposition. But be courageous in your fence against that opposition. And take that time to make sure you're equipped by you spending time with the Holy Spirit to, to give you the strength to do that. Take that time to be involved in a small group, whether it's formal or informal, or, or people that know you well, other believers that you can, you know, you can shoot them a text, hey, I'm going into this meeting and it's pretty rough. Or I just came out of this experience and man, you know, I just got, I just got the tar kicked out of me here for, for, for speaking of some point of morality or whatever. You've got, we've got to do this, you guys. You have to do this. I'm, it's built in for me. It's not built in for you. It's harder for you. 
I know it's harder for you. But we have to do it. And he, he, Paul knows it's hard. God knows it's hard. And so, and so he says, listen, you know, I, I just want you to understand that this, this, what living this way, it leads to, it's destruction for them and salvation for you. Well, what in the world does that mean? I don't really know. It's one of two possibilities. It could be, listen, understand this. That when you're up against it, and you're, because you're living out the gospel in a practical way, and you're speaking, and you're acting, and you're standing for, and lifting up the poor, and looking after the oppressor, all, all these different things. Understand that when you're coming in, you just know this, that you are saved. That you are living an eternal life. And those who oppose the gospel are living a life that is on the road to eternal destruction, separation from God. It could, it could be that. The other thing it could be, that one's kind of tough to take, but it could very well mean that. The other way in which it's possible is this, that Paul's saying, listen, people who look at your weird life as a Christian, when you do business stuff that nobody else would do and it's honest when somebody else would maybe shade it gray or when you stand up for this or that or whatever, other people looking at it say, you know what, they, they don't know how to live life. They're going to end up in ruin. Their business isn't going to make it. Their relationship's not going to make it. They're never going to get a date. They're never, they're never going to make school, whatever it is. And so they say, this Christian life, it's going to lead to your their destruction. You're not going to make it. And that's what people who don't know Jesus think. That's just a weird way of life, and I don't want it, and how are you ever going to make it in the world? Oh, but for, and so for the people who are not believers, that's what it looks like. It just looks bad and weird, and why would anybody want to do that? But for us who live it... We understand that it's the road of salvation. We understand that this is the way of Christ. That this is the way of life. That this is the way of eternity. And so it could be one or two, one of those two different possibilities. But the bottom line is, is that Paul is trying to give us some encouragement. And he doubles down on that encouragement by finishing off the passage by reminding us that God is in control. That God is in control. That's what verses 29 and 30 are all about. It's that weird passage. I mean, oh man. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The surprise gift of God is suffering for Jesus. It's a weird way of looking at things. But this word, it's been given to you, it's the same word that we get grace from. Paul has this weird thing. He's saying, listen, it's a grace to you when you suffer for the sake of Christ. Once again, Peterson, makes it in his translation, makes it sound so much better, so much more clear. He says this, listen, there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. That is so strange to our thinking, we can hardly believe it's in the Bible. At least for me. But it's an encouragement. What he's saying is that, listen, God gave this suffering. 
God is in control of the suffering. Don't think that you're defeated or that Christ is defeated because you're having a hard time at work or because a relationship broke apart because you want to follow Jesus and, and they don't want to follow Jesus or whatever the case may be. Don't, don't, don't think that, that, that you've lost control. Don't think that God didn't see this coming. Don't think that God took, this by, took God by surprise. Understand that God is with you in the midst of this and it's a grace to you because as you stand for the witness of Christ in the midst of this hardship, you make salvation real to those people who are watching. How could they get through it like that? How could they respond to hatred in the way with that kind of forgiveness? How can they show grace to people who are so mean to them? How can they sacrifice themselves for somebody that's just going to waste the money anyway? And why, why were they giving money again? Because God is in control and we do it. Whew. Nothing is so incongruous in a Christian and foreign to their character as to seek ease and rest and be engrossed with the present life. As I meditate on this passage here where we're Paul saying this is what it means to live as a citizen of heaven. I've been so challenged this week. I really have. Because what life do I pursue? Really. I mean really. In, in my heart. And in my schedule. And in my money. And in my time. And in my thoughts. And in my dreams. Which life? Do I pursue? Which citizenship do I put most of my being into? Ease, rest, enjoying the things emphasized by this world or fearlessly standing firm and striving together with you, my brothers and sisters, to advance the gospel. Knowing that there is victory in Christ when everybody else says that the church is going down and doing so even in the middle of hardship with joyous confidence because I know that God saw it coming and I know that God is with me in that spot and I know that God is going to take me through that to salvation and to use that to advance the gospel. So I just encourage you this week to be honest with yourself, with each other, and with God. Which citizenship are you pursuing? The citizenship of ease, rest, and pursuing and enjoying the things emphasized by the world? Or the citizenship of heaven? Fiercely standing firm, striving together, for the advance of the gospel, no matter how hard it is, because we know that God is in control. Almighty God, um, you, you give us good things. You give citizenship of, of nations that, is, that are stable. You put governors in place and law and order and, 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 and these things. You know, we know from your word that you, that you do this. You, 
you create societies that can be beneficial. And you give us gifts of joy and relaxation and enjoyment and, and beauty and, and all these good things. But I know, God, man, I spend a whole pile of my time trying to avoid the hassle bin and just sort of wanting a bit of rest and ease and I get caught up into pursuing the things of the world and I get caught up in getting angry, you know, politics and all these different things and it just, it can, it can suck me right in and I can start thinking that that's what it's all about and it, the truth is in eternity that stuff doesn't matter hill of beans. What matters is your grace, your kingdom, your gospel, these brothers and sisters of mine that you gave me as a gift. And I, I you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna make that the emphasis of my life. We do, that's, that's why we're here on a Sunday morning, worshiping you at, at home or together in the building, wherever. But maybe my brothers and sisters are like me and we just sort of slip off the log a bit and ease and rest in the pursuit of the world. It just comes so easy to just go with the flow. And, and these competing things for, our, for our, our schedules, our time, our energy, finances. For me, I, I don't even realize what's going on and then suddenly I'll stop and I think, Jones, what, what are you doing? Somehow you end up in a spot that with these things that you, you, you're worried about and losing sleep over things that, I mean, they're not even secondary, they're not even tertiary, they're, they're way down the list if I live in this weird way that you call us to live. Because if we're citizens of heaven, then we're aliens in this world. And... Uh, when we stand out as aliens, then opposition can come. So I don't know, Lord, we're all in a different spot with this. And I suppose day by day, sometimes we're in a different spot than, than we were yesterday with ourselves, with our families, whatever. I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, that this week you would just, um, just come heavily upon us and and remind us to, to take that time for those spiritual disciplines to spend time with you so that you can work in our hearts. You, the living God. Because when we encounter you, the living God, then, then these things become uh, clear. And we have the courage and the enthusiasm and the joy to remember that, that what counts above everything else is to live lives worthy of the gospel. To live lives as citizens of heaven. We pray through Christ. Amen.